Hello, and welcome to the Aseret Podcast, where we learn about character, kindness, wisdom, and values from living examples of inspiring people. In this week's episode, I speak with Hillel Fold about the power and light of Shabbat in the unbelievably busy world we live in. Hillel's energy, passion, and love for life and people are in full force during this interview, and his presence and wisdom made me want to contribute and be so much better than I am now in all facets of my life. I think you will love our conversation. And in case you didn't know, Hillel Fold, Israel's top marketer and the man transforming startup nation to scale up nation by Forbes, is a tech journalist, startup marketer, and technology expert. Hillel works with technology companies and accompanies them from idea to revenue. He also works with many leading tech brands as an influencer. These include Google, Oracle, Huawei, and many more. Hillel's work has been featured in CNBC, Inc. Magazine, Fast Forward Entrepreneur Magazine, TechCrunch, The Next Web, and many other leading tech publications. He was recently named the seventh most influential tech blogger on the internet and among the top 100 most influential social media personalities across the globe. You can read more about him on his website in the show notes, as well as find access to his vlog and his podcast that cover tech news in general. What, Mel- what Hillel is most proud of is his family, including his wife, Racheli, and his five amazing kids. He also takes pride that he has used his extensive network to help hundreds of people get jobs in the Israeli tech ecosystem. I think Hillel was the perfect person to interview about the Diber of Shabbat because he is a shining example of a person more plugged in than ever to the modern world and screen-filled life who yet still makes time to unplug for what matters most. For Hillel, Shabbat balances his constant need to create, connect, and contribute with a slower, more intimate, spirituality-filled existence with the people he loves most. If Hillel can do it, then so can you. We also talked about how Shabbat, the day of Kedusha or holiness, is connected to being a Kiddush Hashem, one who brings God's light to the wider world. And believe me, Hillel does this in the most outstanding of ways, as you will learn through just a sliver of his incredible stories. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoy it and find it meaningful. Please like and subscribe wherever you may be listening. Okay, Hillel Fold, thank you so much for coming to speak to us on the Aseret Podcast. Thank you so much for having me, Noah. My first question for you is, and maybe this is a work question a little bit, uh, I reached out to you in a one-word sentence on your website based on listening to you on another podcast with uh, Rev. Ephraim Goldberg. Why did you say yes to to this request? I'm going to be a good Jew and answer you, why would I not? Yeah? Why would I not? Someone wants to interview me, why would I not? I don't, what do I care? I'm happy to meet good people, happy to share good things. Why Why would I not? That's the truth. I mean, people say to me all the time, like, oh, but I'm small. I'm like, I don't, what do I, what do I care? Like, why would I not? I don't, I, it's a true. I mean, that's my genuine answer. It's, it's, it's very, it's very similar to my career. People say to me, why do you do what you do? And I said, why would I not? If I could help people, why not? Okay. Wow. Um, how do you then balance? Like, I mean, you get, you must get a lot of requests. How do you determine when to say no to people? I don't say no to people. That's how I balance it. You just don't say no. No. Sometimes if a person needs my help, that's something I can't help with that I'll say, I can't help with that. But I don't say no to people. Okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna put that in a in a part of my mind because I want to come back to it. Um, but today we're gonna be talking about the deber of Shabbos. So we have ten de, ten debers in the Ten Commandments, and each one of those contain many mitzvot. The deber is a kalal; it contains so many pieces. And so I want to talk to you about Shabbos, not as a particular mitzvah per se, but as an a broad big idea within Judaism, uh, one of the most important, of course. And I want to start with just 
a brief overview here. We know that you've got a lot of hats, um, particularly in startups and content writing. You work with big organizations. You've said, you know, in your intro on your website, a kid in a candy store, um, doing a lot of things everywhere. But I want to start just by asking you to walk me through a typical Shabbos from Erev Shabbos onward. What does that look like for you? Sure. So, um, you know, obviously Shabbos starts on Friday, right? We're getting ready for Shabbos. So, you know, I'm running around and doing what I got to do. And uh, I spend a couple of, I wouldn't say a couple of hours, maybe an hour or so preparing a Dvar Torah, a piece of Torah that I um, can share with my extremely secular audience. So the the Torah that I teach is nothing to, I mean, not nothing, I shouldn't say nothing, but it's not a religious lesson. It's a global lesson, often connected to leadership or connected to business or one way, you know, one way or another. And it's actually shocking because I started this about three years ago. And little did I know that in every single portion in the Torah, there is a lesson for business and leadership. So I do that. I prepared that on Friday. I then send it to a good friend of mine. His name is Shui Haber, whose father, Rabbi Haber, who's a pretty famous guy. And he prepares me the graphics of that Tvar Torah for Instagram. Uh, so I get ready for, for Shabbos by preparing that Tvar Torah. And then when Shabbos comes, I, um, you know, I suit up and I notify my, you know, I don't know, a couple of hundred thousand followers and I'm signing off for Shabbos. Uh, I have this kind of funny line that I've been saying for many years, signing off for 25 hours and the ringing, pinning, pinging and tweeting devices. Uh, I've been doing that for many, many years. Take a picture of myself in the suit and I share that to our Torah on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Um, and uh, then I sign off and about an hour before Shabbos, I meet with some friends uh, for a Lachaim. We have some good alcohol. We learn Torah together. Then Shabbos comes in. I walk with my kids. I, I got 12-year-old twins. They usually join me. Uh, we go. We go to the shul. We daven. Um, we, you know, a little, little socializing a little bit after shul. Head home, have dinner, sometimes with guests, sometimes without guests. Uh, and then I'm pretty pretty early sleeper Friday night just because I don't sleep much during the week. And, you know, I get exhausted. Uh, Shabbos morning, I get up, uh, make the kids breakfast, you know, chill with the kids a little bit. Head to shul at 8.30. Um um, I, I often am the chazan. I often lead, lead the davening. Uh, I, I don't know if I could say I'm a professional singer by any means, but I have an okay voice, I guess. And um, after shul, assuming there's no kiddush, there's no simcha, if nobody's bar mitzvah or wedding or whatever, then we uh, gather up a couple of friends and we sit down and we learn more, I would say, philosophical stuff, more like Jewish philosophy versus like Gemara or something like that. Uh, so we learn for about an hour and a half after shul, go home, have lunch, usually take a nap, um, end of Shabbos, either we go to our friend's house for Shalshudas, for the third, you know, third meal of the day. And uh, yeah, by then, you know, at least in the winter, Shabbos is short. And so, um, yeah, that's that's my Shabbos. Okay. So quieter, a little bit quieter than your, reg- more local than your 200,000 followers and your regular life over there. Yeah. And I forgot to mention when I sign, sign back on after Shabbos, the first thing I do is I um, go to Twitter and ask what I missed. And usually, thank God, the answer is not much. But unfortunately, there's those weeks where, uh, you know, I did miss something bad. Like last Shabbos, it was a horrible terrorist attack. But, um, right. you know, I, I sign off and then I sign back on and ask. And then I obviously get through my notifications, which unfortunately are completely out of control. And I have about 400 emails that I have to go through. And um, that's very annoying and very nerve wracking for me. But uh, eventually I get through it. And then usually they will go out or just chill in front of Netflix or whatever. Kind of decompress. Just on a very quick side note, can you you get 400 emails? Can you just share with this audience who might not have listened to the other one, your quick hack for, for email templates? No, so the email templates, uh, you know, it's a, it's, a, it's a feature in the iPhone called text replacement. Uh, for those listening, it's in settings, general, keyboard, text replacement. Uh, and you basically set up a shortcut for any text that you want to share. 
So the, the goal is to take texts that you that you write more than once. So it might be your email address, your phone number, your home address, or any other text, whether it's a sentence, a word, a paragraph that you write more than once. Instead of just writing it over and over again, you set up a shortcut. So 19 out of every 20 emails that I send are shortcuts. And things like, you know, an, an entrepreneur reaches out to me and I have to ask them for the context. Why do you want to meet me? Is it as a blogger? Blah, 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 blah. Or do me a favor, send me a calendar invite. Here's my email address. Please include the context of the meeting. Things that, you know, I write 50 times a day. So I just shut up shortcuts. Like someone asks me for my bio, if I'm doing a speech or something, I just send them the bio. I don't have to go in and, you know, copy it from some document. I just set up a shortcut where I write the word updated bio in one word and it just sends them the entire bio. So I have about, I would say 80 to hundred of those shortcuts. And that saves me countless hours throughout the day, but that doesn't apply to getting through 400 emails. I still need to go through 400 emails manually. Wow. Wow. So I want to, before I get back into that for a moment here, we have two different parts of Shabbos. We have from the two different Debro, we have in, we have an Exodus and we have in Deuteronomy. So in Exodus, we have Zahor to remember Shabbos. And it's associated most with the positive aspects of Shabbos, the commands to sanctify, to make holy, so just tell us, I want to understand, you know, you told me the schedule of it, but what feels differently for you on Shabbos that you don't get during the week from an internal perspective? Right. So I actually, it's interesting. I actually sat this morning, kid you not, this morning in Tel Aviv with a guy who uh, was, he grew up not, he grew up secular, became religious, became a rabbi, and now he's secular again, which is something you don't see very often. And we were talking about it and, and he's like, and I said to him, like, how do you feel about it? And I just asked him one question. Do you not miss Shabbos? Like, how do you like, so, you know, Shabbos for me, I mean, I don't think I, I genuinely, but genuinely do not think I'd be able to survive without Shabbos. Like my, if you saw my day on a, you know, on a regular basis, every single day, you, you legitimately would not believe the amount of things that I do in one day. So, you know, I'm not saying that to show off. I'm just saying that it's, my days are very intense. Like, you know, usually I'm in Tel Aviv by 10 AM and I'm back to back in meetings till about 4 PM at home, Zooms, interviews, podcasts, whatever. So it's, it's very intense. Um, and then, you know, Shabbos, I'm off my phone and not to say, by the way, I don't, I don't want to mislead you and say that I don't have anxiety about being off my phone and knowing how many notifications are coming in. I do. Uh, but at the end of the day, obviously it's good for my mind. It's good for my body. It's good for my soul. Uh, and so Shabbos, you know, if you'd ask, if you literally, if you'd ask me what mitzvah, what Torah commandment, you know, do you most, I guess, identify with or most resonates with you for sure? Not even a question. The answer would be Shabbos. In fact, one of my favorite songs from one of my favorite singers, Eli Schwebel, if uh, anybody's listening, Eli Schwebel, uh, it's an amazing singer. His dad was from Dvekis, those that are old school. Um, so he has a song called uh, Shabbos, I think. I think it's called Shabbos. Maybe it's called Moshe. It's called Moshe. And the words are that Hashem says to Moshe, I have an amazing gift in my treasure box and I want to give it to Am Yisrael and the name of the gift is Shabbos. Um, and it's an amazing song, but I really do feel like Shabbos is a, is a gift and I don't know what, what I do without it. How, but how does it save you? Of course, it saves you from your, the tyranny of, of six days a week of crazy work. But what, what do you feel differently about? What, what, how does it change you? I mean, listen, you know, I have, I have, I have better and worse Shabbos. You know, sometimes I definitely get anxious from just knowing what I'm about to come back to. But, you know, it's, it's spirituality. It's, it's praying to God more often than I do during the week, unfortunately. It's learning Torah, which is something I, don't, I definitely do more of on Shabbos than during the week. It's uh, family, you know, when do we sit and have a family and talk and sing together? It's friends, you know, it's not often you get to see friends and no pressure, no phones and no anything. So it's just like, it's just like, um, I guess, you know, how they do these, those cleanses, right? You do like a fruit, uh, fruit shake cleanse or whatever. Shabbos is my cleanse. It's my spiritual cleanse. Wow, I'm going to coin that. That's really good. Spiritual <laughs> cleanse. I do like that. 
Rabbi Sachs that sells was talked a lot about how it's the antidote to burnout. So I, I can imagine that uh, I don't know how you would have would you could possibly do it seven. It, you would not be able to do it seven days a week. Not a chance. Not a chance. So the second part of Shabbos reflected in the second D, the second um, set of debrot given, or not the second debrot, but the second time it was repeated is shamor about refraining from certain things. So what do you look forward to most? You may have answered this a little bit. What do you look forward to most about Shabbos that involves giving up something from your weekday? Right. So I, I think, you know, it's a really interesting point because I think Shabbos is extremely misunderstood by people who don't know, you know, the, let's say call it the Gemara, Mishnah, whatever it is. And people say, oh, you know, I'm not allowed to, uh, I have to rest. So what's not resting about going in a car and going to the beach? Or what's not resting about watching TV? How is that, you know? But we know the difference. We we know what it's about. It's not about rest in the in the in the modern you know sense of the word. It's about not creating, right? God stopped creating the world on the seventh day. He rested from creation. So anything that's creating, right? If you're opening an umbrella on Shabbos, you're creating a tent, basically. So we're not allowed to create on Shabbos. And throughout my week, I'm just like nonstop creating. I'm writing. I'm videoing. I'm audioing. I'm meeting. I'm you know uh, uh, counseling. I'm advising. Just nonstop creation. And my ability to just stop creating and start intaking, start inhaling, start, you know, pulling it in versus putting it out is just a very refreshing change for my weekly pace, which is just completely off the charts. Uh, and so for me, you know, it's just the ability to just relax. You don't have to produce content now. You don't have to start tweeting now. You don't have to, you know, post on LinkedIn now. You could just relax. You don't have to create. Now you have to recharge your batteries. So for me, that's what it's about. And work is a part of the Deber. It says, So you're very, that is part of Shabbat. They're, they're intertwined with each other, interconnected with each other. They're both so important. Can you tell us how Shabbos impacts your work and your work week? How does it make it or you better at what you do? So, I mean, I, I don't know if we have a direct answer to that question, but I will say that, you know, one of the questions I get, I don't know, hundreds of times is from people is, does your religiosity or does the level of your, you know, let's call it, um, um, what's it called? What's the word I'm looking for? Obser uh, you know, observant. You're an observant Jew. Like you show off your keeper, you show off your Shabbos. Does it affect your career? Does it, you know, do you have to compromise on things? You know, does it cause you problems? Is it uncomfortable? Is it awkward? And the answer is actually quite the contrary. Uh, it has been part of my brand, you know, and I think that people really respect you when you own something. And so I can tell you that, you know, I have given up on things. Google invited me to a summit that was on Shabbos. I couldn't go. But on the other hand, I went to Silicon Valley many, many years ago, and I met with a guy named Bradley Horowitz, who, by the way, is not Jewish, uh, but he's lead chief, I think, product officer at Google or very, very senior at Google. And I, I was meeting him not in a business context, but as a social meeting. And I walk into his office and there's a huge platter of sushi on the on the table. I said, what's that? He goes, well, I know that there's no kosher food in Silicon Valley. So I had to order this sushi from outside of Silicon Valley because I know you're strictly kosher. And this is a guy who's completely not Jewish and completely, but he respects me for who I am and what I am. And, you know, the fact that I own my religiousness, and the fact that I own my Judaism and I don't uh, shy away from it, I think it creates more respect and more admiration. In fact, I could tell you that I've gotten countless messages from people Around the world, some woman said to me, I have not lit Shabbos candles in 40 years, but I started again because of your Shabbos posts. Another woman in L.A. wrote me and she said, we're completely unaffiliated Jews. We have never done anything. But your 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 faith posts, she wrote, your faith posts have inspired me so much that this Shabbos, our family kept Shabbos for the first time. And we all sat around crying because of, you know, because of you. 
So I think it makes me a better person that, you know, religion is part of who I am. And I think that at the end of the day, you know, I don't know if this is politically correct to say, but I think that the source of all morality and ethics in this world is the Torah. And so, you know, I try to act in the most moral and ethical way. Uh, and I try to be a good person. I built my entire career on that. And it's all based on Torah values, you know? And so I think it's, I don't think it enhances my career. I think Torah made my career, literally made my career. I I think today working, I work in mental health and, and of course there's research and, and t- tons of work in the behavioral sciences, helping people flourish in life. But my greatest tools come from the Torah and people are yearning for it. I, 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 in a way, I help a lot of non-Jews think like Jews, uh, especially in terms of making commitments that are firm, rooted, implanted. It's not, you know, on a whim today, I'm going to rest, you know, next week, I'm not going to rest. People are yearning. Uh, I, I interact with so many Jews of different types and non-Jews. And especially when it comes to Shabbos in this generation, people are, I, I don't know what it is. People are like screaming for it, I think. Uh, it's its very its very profound, actually, the amount of people, non-Jews that I'm working with that are trying to do it. Yeah, so I, I, you know, I don't want to get too heavy here, but, you know, there is an interesting discussion that I've had recently with a friend about, about anti-Semitism, right? Because anti-Semitism obviously today is, you know, I don't remember the last time it was this bad. And and I, and I wonder, I've always wondered since I'm a kid, like, why? Like, wh- I mean, why? Why do they, like, we, we've only done good for this world. Why do they hate us so much? Like, what is the actual source? And I think that the source is morality. I think that the Torah is the source of morality. And you look at when you look at civilizations that had no morality, like the Roman Empire, the Greek Empire, the Nazi Empire, and unfortunately, what's going on in America today, where black is white, white is black, boy is girl, girl is boy, like, there's no morality. And so, you know, those people are looking and saying, we don't want morality. And who is the messenger of morality in this world? The answer is the Jews. And so they can't kill God, right? So they, they have to kill the messenger, right? You, as my friend said, you kill FedEx, you don't get your package, right? And so they don't want that package. They don't want that morality. So they're like, get rid of this messenger. Uh, and I think I think that's the answer. I think that everything that guides me in my career and in my life uh, is somewhere based in, in in the Torah. Like, you know, whether it's the Torah, the written Torah, the oral Torah, it's it's somewhere. Everything that I've ever done is is somewhere. So in a in a way, the way you're describing this, and obviously it's very complex in every individual society, but there's something about us being a face of God, a, rep, a presence of God that is scary for people. Is it is it is it terrifying that that we have that message? And is it, you know, it's like it's if someone's trying to tell you what to do, and or even though we're not necessarily telling what people what to do, it's very confronting. It's almost people get defensive. I don't know what what are you trying to say there. Yeah, no, I, I think, yes, I think they don't want this morality shoved down their throat. They don't want to hear this old school morality. Morality today is a completely different thing. And I'll tell you, it's interesting, though, because on the other side, the flip side of that is that we're like a lighthouse to the nations, right? They're on their ship navigating the sea, and we're the lighthouse. And if a lighthouse goes out, if we put out our light, like, they don't know what to do with themselves, right? And so you see, and, and it's such a strange phenomenon, you see that throughout history, when assimilation was high, when we were trying to tell the nations, hey, we're just like you, then anti-Semitism blew up. But that doesn't make any sense. You would think that if we're different than them, that's when they'd hate us. But when we're trying to be like them, why do they hate us so much? And the answer is, they're like, dude, you need your light. Keep your lighthouse on. Otherwise, we don't know what the heck we're doing. Now, we don't want it shoved down our throats, but we also don't want your light to go out. And you're trying to put your light out. You're trying to be like us. You're not like us. And so anti-Semitism to me, is kind of a wake-up call that God sends us every time we forget who we are, and so the God, you know, God, and by, by you know, in, a, in an ironic way, 
the, the nations that expelled us every 14 years from their countries, they're God's messenger saying to the Jews, stop it. You're not like us. You're different. Own your identity. Stand up. Announce that you're going off for Shabbos. Be, be who you are. Be real because you're not like us. And if you don't remember that, we're going to remind you through anti-Semitism. Wow. Uh, it's it's hard it's hard to fathom the, the I mean you always see it reflected in different external causes or with different ideas but there's obviously something underlying that is mysterious and maybe this is part of it but you are alluding to something that I didn't really necessarily intuitively connect together but I do want to bring it up to you in our tefillot particularly on Shabbos for example we say kulam and then, so we're, we're getting into the, the first part is So there's all this idea, feeling relaxed, you know, feeling the goodness of God. We have, let us feel Kedusha, let us feel Simcha, let us feel Bracha. But we end it with So the first time Kedusha appears in the Torah, we know, is in reference to Shabbat, so that Shabbos is considered holy. When when you think about being a Kiddush Hashem, how do you see it being uh, related to Shabbos? Because it's clear that that Chazal are relating being a Kiddush Hashem to Shabbos. I mean, I could, all, you know, I, on my end, I could do my small part, and that's what I do when I try to sign off and let everyone know that I'm signing off. And I cannot tell you how many unbelievable comments and replies, and you know, people saying to me how much they admire and respect it, and they wish they could do it. And um, so I think it is a tremendous Kiddush Hashem, and I think that. Um, you know, walking in the streets and seeing people with their talises on their way to shul, holding their kid's hand and learning Torah with your kids on Shabbos. Like, you know, who has time for this stuff? I mean, I know it's, it's a horrible thing to say, but during the week, we're all busy, busy, busy. We're on our phones. We're on this. And on Shabbos, we could focus on Kedusha. We could focus on sanctity and holiness. And I think that that without that injection of godliness to our life, we would just be basically an empty skeleton of just DNA and skin and bones and no neshama. And our neshama is what's rejuvenated on Shabbos, I think. Can you just tell you you mentioned a couple stories, but can you just tell us one Kiddush Hashem story that is has been one of the most meaningful for you in in your life? It could be in Israel, in Tel Aviv, in your travels with all the companies you have behind you on your video. There is there is there something that stands out for you that that really solidified this idea of being a Kiddush Hashem? I mean, there are literally hundreds. I mean, I told I mentioned two before about non affiliated Jews being inspired, etc. But um, I mean, I've gotten hundreds of messages about that, how, you know, my, 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 um, I guess, owning my identity as a Jew, as an observant Jew has really inspired people. Uh, a specific story of a Kiddush Hashem. Um, you know, I'm trying to think of a specific story. I mean, listen, you know, people that follow me on Twitter are, you know, are, are the top, the cream of the crop. I mean, Ellen DeGeneres follows me on Twitter. Listen, like people that are, and they, they, for the first time ever, have exposure to what Torah means and what Shabbos means. So, you know, again, I try to do a Kiddush Hashem there, but um just generally, I meet, I meet, you know, I don't know, 50, 70, 80 entrepreneurs a week. And all they hear from me over and over and over again is do good, do good, help people, do good, help people. So I, I want to believe that's a Kiddush Hashem. Uh, you know, I don't, I don't know if there's one specific story that stands out, but there, you know, there've been, there've been thousands of stories that have happened to me. I mean, I don't know. I mean, I don't know. I don't know if this is what you call a Kiddush Hashem, but I can tell you that I had a story this week that happened to me. That is just absolutely mind blowing, but it's a complicated story. So you need a you need a like, I don't know if you had coffee yet today, but this is I like, did. You got to like two hundred percent focus and attention in the following story because it's a little complicated. Okay, all right, following. stick with me. Ten years ago, I'm gonna I'm gonna leave out names because I'm gonna use fake names because it's a little sensitive. Ten years ago, a man named David was volunteering packing food for the for poor, the poor people, 
And standing next to him was an older man, also packing food for the poor people. And he, you know, they introduced themselves. He says, hi, I'm David. He says, hi, my name is Michael. Michael is a massive tech investor, like a very, very well-known tech investor. So they become friends and everything's great. Three years later, Michael, the tech investor, gets a call from a top tier, like a like a top, top uh, Hollywood actor who says to him, listen, I have this uh, venture fund. I'm an investor and I want to open it in Israel. Do you know anyone that can manage my money in Israel? So this tech investor says, yeah, I know this David guy who volunteered with me and he's a really big man. He's a really good guy. He could be your guy. He introduces him and he joins him as a partner. He starts managing his money, which by the way, right there alone, like all, you know, he just came across the, 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 you know, the opportunity of a lifetime because he was doing, you know, chesed. So that alone is an amazing story, but it continues. A few years later, actually Erev Shavuos, about five years ago, I get a call that this actor is in Israel and he wants to meet startups and I go meet him. And in the room is this actor, another guy, and this original David guy, okay? Because he's now managing his money. So I meet David, and we become friends, okay? That's that story, all right? Now I'm going to another story. Uh, three years ago, I had an entrepreneur reach out to me and say that he's building an app for dementia. So I said, okay, let, you know, how can I help? He said, I need some advice. I gave him some advice, and that was that. That's the third story. Two more. Fourth story. Uh, I get a, uh, I'm, 10 years ago, I'm, in, I'm a mentor at Microsoft and there's a, there's a CEO that's sitting in the corner of the room, just kind of minding his own business. And I'm his mentor. And long story short, he built a massive, massive, massive company, super duper successful. I'm not going to tell you exactly what it does. Cause that will, I don't want to give away names and that'll be too obvious, but it does something for app developers. It doesn't matter what, anyway, he starts building this company. It's blowing up super successful. At one point he says to me, listen, I need a CMO. I need a, I need a marketing guy. Do you know anyone? I said, yeah, I introduced him to someone and he hired him. Now they're they're building this multi-billion dollar company together. Okay, fourth story. And final story, final story. Uh, a, uh, I get an email a couple of years ago from some guy in America. And he says to me, I have this, I have this startup where I built a tablet for people's homes that basically acts as an intercom. And I'd love to, I'd love to send you a few. I said, great. He sends them to me. I have them right in front of me. I have them all over my house. Anyway, a few years later, the guy writes me, he says, listen, uh, I was in touch with Amazon and they were going to buy it. And then they ended up stealing my technology. And what you know is Alexa is actually my technology, but they put me out of business. Okay. Those are all the stories. Okay. Okay. A month ago, a month ago, I get a message from David, this investor from the beginning. He says, do you know this guy who has this app for dementia? I said, yeah. He says, introduce me. I introduced him. Okay. Last week, last week, you with me so far? I am very with you. Last week, the guy who built the Afro Dementia calls me. He says, I need to meet you. I said, okay, I go meet him. He says, you don't understand. This investor, this David guy, called me last week and he said, I've been looking for an app that does exactly what you're doing. How much money do you need? And he says, I need $800,000. He says, I'll double it. Okay, fantastic. So this guy calls me to tell me, thank you for that introduction. Beautiful. Then this guy says to me, but I have two challenges. I need two things and I don't know if you can help, but it would be amazing if you can help. The first thing I need is for my app, I need a certain feature. And that certain feature is exactly what that company does. The guy that I got him his job and I was his mentor. So in the meeting, I call this company and I say, hey, I'm working with this guy. I'm meeting this guy who has this app for dementia. And the other, the guy who's the CMO of the company on the other end of the phone says to me, my mother-in-law was just diagnosed. Please introduce me right now. So I introduce them. And then the guy says to me, and I have one more challenge. The guy who built the app. I have one more challenge. I need to build a tablet. I need to build a tablet because I'm selling to people with dementia. And I'd rather sell a tablet than an app. Do you know anyone who could build a tablet? So I connected into this guy. I connected into this company. I connected <laughs> to this investor all because 
one good thing after the other. And it was just a chain of events that had to line up perfectly for any of this to happen. About 50 different events that if one of them wouldn't have happened, if he didn't volunteer, if he didn't meet that guy, if he didn't invite you to meet that one thing after the other, and all, all of this happened, and now this guy's going to build an app for dementia that will hopefully, hopefully enhance millions of lives just because this guy did this good thing and this guy did this good thing and I helped this guy and I helped this guy and boom. So that's just an example of how Hashem operates in the most unbelievable ways and creates realities that some people might call a coincidence, but if you call that a coincidence, then you are then you should get checked out because that's clearly God's hand. It's not normal. These are these are like decade long point. Like I always, yeah. I honestly look at it because I used to love these like Hashkacha stories, and I was always thinking about making them into animation. It's almost like. You're watching the like there's imagine there's like a black screen and there's these dots and yep. people are like this and then they go like that and they meet and then this person goes. Yeah, th- yeah that's 100%. a crazy story, but yeah, that's your wild. life. Total. But that's that your life. life. And, and I guess the only part of your life that's kind of no in a way is Shabbos, because no matter what, you can't help people the same way you do on Shabbos. So that's probably what Correct. saves you because you are yes, 24 yes, six. And most correct, people 100%. have this guardedness. I can't do that. That's the fact that you can do that is on another level, but it clearly brings so much bracha and blessing uh, to the world around you. Last couple, I mean, it's it's hard to. I'm gonna have to re-listen to the story, but I do I do understand that the connection between those people and it's 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 special. Um, this is actually an example of how the benefits of technology are so clear, so clear. The way that you're able to communicate with so many people at once bring people together in a way that would never have been possible in any other time period in, in human history. And you pushed back on another podcast to listen to with Rev Ephraim Goldberg about some of the dangers you pushed back and basically said, this is, this is the greatest thing ever. And, and your life is an example of that. However, I want to ask you about some of the drawbacks that I've noticed, especially in my mental health practice, working with a lot of people that are deeply struggling with their usage of, of social media, screen time, for example. Number one, I think, is related to Shabbos. Shabbos is called Chemdas Hayamim. It's a coveted day. So we have an Eretz Chemda as well. We have a land that's coveted. So we have time, a, a coveted of land or space and a covetedness of time. But those are things that we can access. Eretz Yisrael is ours. Shabbos is ours. It's for everybody. It's something. It's it's a it's a it's something that we can access, and it's for us. Chemda or Tachmod is one of the debers. It's the tenth deber, Lo Sachmod. And in and in Dvarim it says Lo Sachmod velo Sis Ave Taiva and Tachmod. Those two verbs have only when they're together. There's one other place in the Torah where those two verbs go together, and it's in the story of Gan Eden, when Chava eats is about to eat from the tree. She says. Those two verbs are for things that she could not access. We have Shabbos Tachmod for the positive. But Chava noticed something that she could not have and had Ta'ava and Tachmod, those two verbs. So there is a strong element in social media of people looking and having Tachmod towards things that are not theirs. You're seeing people living beautiful lives. You're seeing so much around you. And for a lot of people, that creates a lacking, a chisaron, a miss, something missing, and has a tremendous dizzying effect on their consciousness and makes life harder. How would you help? How would you advise people to be able to get the benefits and the beauty and the stories that you have, the connections, without suffering and succumbing to, you know, a complete loss from this debare of lo tachmod? 
I mean, I, I'm going to push back again. I'm going to push back on your on your premise here. I don't I don't think I don't think it's a fair question. I mean, it's like asking me, how are you going to push back on people that had car accidents? Why are they using cars? Stop using cars because there are car accidents. Like, stop eating food because there's poison in the world. Stop. The internet is a is a is a channel is a vehicle. Like anything in the world can be used or abused. Like anything. But to say that the internet and social media is a negative thing because of the negative effects, I, I mean, it's a silly. I, Excuse me for saying it this way, but I think it's a silly question. Like, take anything in your life that's good, anything. There's bad sides to it as well. So I think, you know, for me, it's clear that the good outweighs the bad. I'm not I'm not in any way belittling or ignoring the fact that there is online bullying. Trust me, I know. Okay, I know it better than anyone. I know that there's online bullying. I know that there's this phenomenon. You look at someone else's life and you think, like, oh, they have the perfect life. I mean, no, but let me push back on that, too. You we, for example, have seatbelts. We do things to protect ourselves. So there, there is right. a clear issue of tachmod. There is a clear issue of people focusing deeply on what other people have, and it's reflected in the images that they see. Right, right. And so the I, life I, that they the, see. I think the answer is, you know, again, it's, I don't have a magic answer, but the answer is you need to educate people that that's not reality. I mean, there's nothing you see on the internet reflects reality, nothing. There's no such thing as a person that's driving around in Lamborghinis all day long and has no problems in life. No such thing. There's not a single person on planet Earth that does not have challenges. So they're going to show on Instagram what they want you to see on Instagram, but they're not going to show you the bad sides. And so it's just a question of understanding that and getting, you know, I think just a reality check that just because you're seeing that guy doing that, the guy went and just rented a Lamborghini for the day from Hertz to show a picture on, on Instagram about a Lamborghini. Like, like put put things in perspective here. You, you know, you're looking at it, but you know what? Anybody can take certain things of their life and make it seem amazing too. I mean, people follow me online and they see, you know, wow, he's am- do they know that like my brother was murdered and I was in a deep depression? I mean, they do because I shared it, but like, you know, like you show what you want, you show what you want people to see. And that's everyone without exception. There's no such thing as a person that is living the life they show on Instagram. No such thing. So you have to just educate people. People have to be educated. They have to understand that point. And I just think it's a question of, you know, perspective and on life in general. Like I, you know, I just don't, um, you know, I'll tell you, I'll tell you something that I heard that was beautiful. One of my rabbis once said something really, really beautiful. We say uh, in Aleinu, right? The sky above and the ground beneath. And he says, isn't that, um, what's the word I'm looking for uh, when it's extra? What's the word when it's extra? Superfluous? Superfluous is a good word. There's another word I was looking for, but redundant maybe whatever it doesn't matter the point is we know that the sky is above and the ground is beneath like why does it have to say that we know it's obvious it could have just said right so he said something beautiful that i think has impacted my life more than any torah i've ever heard in my life he said things that are anything to do with spirituality something important in life things that are important always look me ma'al always strive higher things that are al haaretz health wealth not to say those things aren't important but always look mitachas and say, you stub your toe and it hurts, at least it's not cancer. It could be so much worse. Things that are vashamayim always look mimal. Things that are al haaretz always look mitachas. And so you're on Instagram looking at people like, don't look at like, oh, he's strive to be a better person. But when it comes to materialism, think about how lucky you are that you are actually looking at your phone in America or in Israel, in a Western country with internet, on a smartphone, with friends, with people, like you have so much to be thankful for. Even if you think your heart, your life is hard and you lost a loved one and you're sick and who knows what, not belittling that, but look and say it could be so much worse. That is my perspective on life. 
I've said this to people who disagreed, who said just because someone's dying of cancer doesn't mean I didn't hurt my toe. Okay, that's their perspective. I don't live like that. To me, I always look, when I try to be a good person, when I, when I suffer, look me tachas and say, thank God, it's it's great. Yeah, this hurts, but it could be so much worse. The other part of this, and, and thank you for sharing that, the other part of this is just about attention, the ability to to prolong our attention. Talk about Torah study, for example, the ability to to have undivided attention, undistracted attention uh, for a period of time. Obviously, that that is a challenge, um, we, especially with the technologies themselves, a reflection of that TikTok, for example. And, and again, not knocking the app itself could be used for the most beautiful things in the world. But how do you, other than on Shabbos when, it's, when you don't have it, uh, how do you protect your attention? How do you sustain focus on one thing when you have so many things coming at you? I absolutely do not. I absolutely do not. If you, if I opened my phone in front of your face right now and I looked at the amount of apps that are open right now and that I'm in the middle of a task, you would, you would, you might faint. Like I'm doing, I'm doing 50 things at once. I'm writing an email. I get a notification on Twitter. I respond to the tweet. I go back. I have a notification on LinkedIn. I go to the. I'm all over the place. Now, is that a good thing? Probably not for most people. For me, it's the biggest blessing in the world. My my ADHD has built my career. I'm not saying it's good for everyone. Do not try this at home, folks. I'm just yes. saying like for me, like I'm doing 50 things at once at least. And so I've built these mechanisms to optimize my time, like the shortcuts you mentioned before, many others. But the answer is I do not. I absolutely do not focus on one thing. And I'll tell you even more than that. I probably should be taking Ritalin, but I actually do believe that if I took Ritalin, it would ruin my career because that is the way I operate. And and I and by the way, I've built my career around my ADHD. Your personality. Right? <laughs> your career is I'm running around. This is your mind. Non- your mind is your whole world is your 100%. mind. 100%. Oh. I'll share something a little vulnerable and then I, and then I got to actually go, but you didn't really ask me this question, but you kind of touched upon it. And I think it's a very interesting thing and it's a discussion worth having. Where has Torah actually damaged my career? You did ask that before you said, where is it? So here's an interesting one. I've never spoken about this publicly, probably will never speak about it again publicly, but this is a real thing. I was taught my whole life that Torah learning is not measured in how much you learn, but how hard you worked at it. Right. I heard a story that someone asked of Moshe Feinstein, he spent a year learning one Dafa Gemara. Can he make a seum? And he said, absolutely. Of course you can. Right. Because it's not about how much you learned. It's about how hard you worked at it. So effort is what's matter is what matters. Effort is what's counted is what, what's measured. That is a very specific kind of principle when it comes to learning Torah. That is not true for the world. If you could get something done without the effort, you don't get less credit for that. If you did something, you did something. But I'm, it's so ingrained in me that without effort, it's worthless that I genuinely, and I, I, by the way, again, I speak to my therapist about this. This is a real thing. Like I have a hard time appreciating myself and seeing myself like others see me because they look at me from based on the output that I put out. I look at myself as the potential that I have. So someone once asked me, like someone asked a group, what potential have you already you know, realized or, or, or fulfilled in your life? And everyone's like 90%, 95%. I'm like 5%. He said, what do you mean 5%? I'm like, 5%. He goes, you've gotten 600 people jobs. You've raised hundreds of millions of dollars. You're mentoring at Google. What are you talking about? I said, all of that's nice. And if you're comparing me to other people, then yeah, I've, I've done 100%. But if you're comparing me and what I feel I can do in this world, I haven't even scratched the surface. And so the concept of your output is not what matters, but rather the amount of effort you put in. Well, I don't put any effort into anything. You think it's hard for me to write blog posts? I do it in my sleep. You think it's hard for me to advise startups? In my sleep. So I don't put effort into anything. I'm in a, I'm a candy store. I'm, I'm a kid in a freaking amusement park every day. I've never spent a day in my life working. Never. Because I love what I do. So how do I take credit for that? How do I call myself whatever other people call me? I can't. Because I don't appreciate the things that I do. Because I don't invest in it. I don't invest time and effort. 
So it is a problem. It's a, it's a principle that I learned through learning Torah that unfortunately I apply to my life and it's a bad thing. It only causes me damage. So that's a vulnerable moment that I've never spoken about before. And I'll just conclude with that. I absolutely believe you. I believe that the people that are doing amazing things in this world, if you actually ask them when on after their Yom Kippur or right before, do you feel like you're you made it? They would say absolutely not. I don't, and they're not saying it to be humble. It's it's just a real thing. The the, the more you go, the more there is to do. The work never ends, but the work does end once a week on Shabbos. And just really appreciate you talking about it. Both you and your brother in their in your own ways have been huge. Kiddush Hashem. Uh, I advise people to learn about one thing I'll say is to learn about your name. Uh, I loved the story that you told about your brother and yourself about the fact that your name contains uh, so much of your mission, so much of your of your destiny. And thank you so much for your time. Thank you for having me. Great to meet you.